0: Well, Good morning, we've got a little special, something and something different happening today Uh, and actually for the next several weeks we're going to be taking some time to focus as a church on our vision as we begin 2022 so you can call this our vision series for this year Um, just as a little reminder as to uh, who we are and what we do as a church I know several of you have just joined us in the last several months uh, as we are a new church. And so I want to just take some time to remind everybody about the vision of the church. And that simply is that we exist to renew the reputation of the local church by revealing the kingdom of Jesus together in Kansas City. You know, we realize that this is a really audacious goal, a really ambitious one, but at the same time, we also feel like it's something God has called us to do. And simply put, when we look at just the landscape of Kansas City and what God's called us to do, we recognize that we are in and situated in a postmodern, post-Christian city in which the church has very much become a relic. And so when we say we want to renew the reputation of the local church, we're not saying we have some sort of secret sauce or that we're better than other churches, but rather to say, what would it look like to renew that reputation of the church uh, within the lives of people by revealing Jesus to our community? And we do that uh, through what we call our kingdom values. We have four kingdom values. Uh, We find those situated within Acts 2, 42 through 47, and it's really where We see this depiction of the early church uh, in the scriptures and what Jesus really intended for his Christ community. And so for us to renew that reputation and for us to reveal the kingdom of Jesus is to embody what this church was like. And so I'm just going to walk us through this passage and then I'll tell you a little bit about what we'll be doing over the course of the next four weeks or these three weeks. So starting with Acts 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. This is to say that at Midtown Church, one of our kingdom values is intentional formation. This idea that we devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings to prayer, right, and to fellowship with one another. It goes on to say, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. This is why our second kingdom value is holistic justice. This idea that we are here to advocate for the holistic well-being of everyone around us, that we readily sell our possessions and we give to people in need it continues to say every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising god and enjoying the favor of all the people that is to say we value courageous hospitality or this idea that much of the christian faith is centered around a home that the home that the meal is actually a spiritual practice that we are invited into as the people of jesus And our last kingdom value is gospel participation. It says in 47b, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. That is to say, if we become people of intentional formation, holistic justice, and courageous hospitality, we will be people engaged in the gospel, participating in the good news, and the Lord will add to our numbers daily those that are following him. And so as we look to 2022, and as we outline kind of our goals for this year, we want to do so through our kingdom values. This is to say we want to anchor our goals for the church within the context of our kingdom values. So we're going to take one kingdom value each week and talk through what we feel like and what our leadership team feels like the Lord is calling us to do through that kingdom value in 2022. Specifically today, though, we're going to talk through intentional formation, so that first kingdom value, and what it looks like to become a people of prayer. So as Alex and I co-teach this message, we're going to discuss what intentional formation is within the context of our church. Uh, We're going to take some time to define prayer because it's something that uh, needs to be defined. It has a whole lot of ambiguous meanings, ideas surrounding it. Then we're going to talk through some things that keep us from praying, and then we're going to end with how we, as Midtown Church, how we become a people of prayer.
1: Yeah, as we begin talking about intentional formation, the value of intentional formation is that we are being deliberate and purposeful with the people we are becoming. We all know that we are almost constantly changing, developing, learning, and growing. Just take a look at your Facebook time hop from seven years ago, or many of you have been taking part in the 10-year challenge where you put like a, a photo of yourself from 2012 next to one from this year, and try to tell me with a straight face that you are the same person. We all know that we are constantly changing. You are not the same person now that you were in 2012. And you won't be the same person who you are now 10 years from now or two years from now or even a month from now. That is the natural progress of humans. We are constantly developing. So in the value of intentional formation, we want to identify that development process and put thought and intentionality into who we are becoming. So that's to say, if I want to become a person that instinctively responds to sass with kindness, what should I practice now to develop that instinct? If I want to become a person that impulsively and selflessly responds to another's needs, what habits should I create now To facilitate that type of impulse. And if I want to become a non-anxious presence in an overwhelmed and overworked world, what changes to my life should I make so that that might be the type of person I become? We desire for our emotional reflexes, our social instincts, and our daily impulses to mimic those of Jesus. What we're talking about is a deep heart Gut level renovation in that the character of Christ becomes our natural reactions. Too often when we talk about discipleship initiatives, too often those discipleship initiatives focus on information. If I can get you to speak the language of Christianity, you'll be good. But we all know far too many Christians that use Christian language to hide a diseased soul that use Christian language to um, hide disordered desires and poor management of what they've been given. We know too many that hide hatred behind Christian language. But what we want is deep soul level transformation that helps us to mimic our Jesus. The key understanding of intentional formation is that it is progressive. It takes time for our hearts, our will, our love, and our attitudes to change. But in partnership with God and community, we can be deliberate about the direction of that change. And these are the efforts that the Apostle Paul describes as working out our salvation with fear and trembling from Philippians 2.12. Each of us must make intentional efforts to imitate Jesus, and trust that God is actually doing his part to make us more like Christ. This is a partnered process, and it is the slow work of allowing the spirit to renew our minds and to give us the character of Christ.
0: You know, when we talk about intentional formation, I think the key word there really is intentional. This idea that we're all being formed by something, oftentimes, it's be very unintentional, right? Mm-hmm. So I remember growing up as a kid, and uh, anybody remember the show Arthur? Yeah, okay, a few of you. Uh, fun fact: I did not realize until much later on in life that Arthur was an aardvark, and some of you just had a light bulb moment, and your lives will never be the same. <laughs> I definitely thought he was like a bunny or something, but anyway. Um, Arthur, the aardvark. I remember my mom, you know, I really wanted to watch Arthur because Arthur was cool. But I remember my mom really uh, not wanting us to watch Arthur. And, you know, I could never, I'd ask her why. And she'd be like, I just don't really like the show very much, blah, blah. Um, And eventually, as I got older, she said, you know, it's because they're really whiny. Like, the characters on the show are really whiny. And I noticed when you watch that TV show, you guys get really whiny. And, you know, as a kid, you just kind of shrug that off. It's like, oh, whatever. That's just mom being mom. And I remember as I grew older and I would nanny, you know, when I was in high school or I would babysit and there'd be TV shows kids would watch or listen to. And the moment that they had watched that show, all of a sudden attitude flip and attitude change. And here's what my mom knew that many of us don't recognize in our own selves or in the lives of those around us. And that's that everything around us tv uh, our computers netflix uh, whatever that might be friends even they're they're forming us whether we intend them to or not and part of the process of discipleship and developing a mature faith is saying i want to be intentional about the things that form me and in the christian life prayer is one of the primary spaces in which we're formed into the image of jesus christ you know, as you're we dreaming about 2022 and what that would look like for our church, one of the things that can, came up consistently in our leadership meetings was prayer and how as a church, we wanted to, quote unquote, get better at this mysterious and ethereal practice called prayer. And so as we uh, prepared for this year and said, what would this look like? We decided, OK, we want to focus on becoming better at prayer as a church. And I think that that starts by simply defining prayer. What is prayer? Because as I mentioned, prayer is a very ambiguous idea, term. Um, It's been co-opted to mean a whole lot of things in our culture and our world. But prayer is simply this, and I'm going to steal a definition from Dallas Willard. Prayer is talking to God about the things we are working on together. It's a collaboration with God to accomplish the good purposes of his kingdom. Prayer is first and foremost a collaboration. It's a two-way street, a way in which we are able to actually communicate with God. And that's why prayer is the primary place in which we are intentionally formed, because it allows us to get closer and closer to Jesus and the way in which we want to look which is like him, you know, baked into this desire to become people of prayer is the recognition that we currently are there, right? It's the Mm -hmm. quote unquote, we want to get better at prayer. So like Alcoholics Anonymous, the first step is always Mm -hmm. admitting that we have a problem. So Alex, tell us what are all of our problems?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, as we begin talking about this, as we sit here, it could be assumed that Cassie and I are coming at this as if we are the experts or we're the, the TED Talk speaker telling you who have no idea how to pray, how to be pre- better prayers like us. The reality is, is as we kind of process and lead this, we don't feel some sort of security that, oh, we've got prayer figured out. But in part, this is to say we're in this together, learning how to become people of prayer. So this isn't um, a TED Talk, this isn't us teaching everyone how to do it better, but us as a community, as leaders in this community saying, let's commit to praying. And oftentimes committing to prayer is acknowledging the things that keep us from praying. And so one of the very first excuses and things that we often say is we are too busy. But the reality is that we are not too busy. We all make time for things we deem important. We make time to catch up on our favorite shows, to spend time with family, to eat well, to work out, to sleep. Whatever our hobby or passion is, we always find time for it. The problem isn't often that we're too busy, it's that we have not made prayer a priority. And so kind of the way for us to engage with that excuse is to take stock of our time and to make prayer a priority. The solution is to look at the things that are filling up our calendars, filling up our schedules, and really ask the question, is this worth it? The little device that we all have in our pocket has something under settings called screen time. And if we just take a second to look at that screen time, it will become abundantly clear that the problem isn't that we're too busy. The problem is that we're spending time doing the wrong things.
0: Yeah, you know, Alex, I wasn't going to share this, but Alex asked me to share a little bit about I actually embarked on a social media fast this year. So for all of 2022, I will not be present on social media, uh, which is not saying much in that like I am so behind. I think all I have is a Facebook and an Instagram and maybe a LinkedIn account that I haven't looked at in forever. But nonetheless, there are a lot of reasons why I chose to do this. I chose to purge it for my life. Uh, I read a book at the beginning of, or excuse me, the end of 2019 called Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a book by John Mark Comer, and it really started me on this trajectory of thinking about how much time I spent on that little device. He actually has you walk through that thing on your phone, the settings that shows you how much time you're spending a day on average, and uh, finally decided this year that that's what I was going to do. I was going to commit to purging it from my life simply because i want to make more space for jesus and if jesus truly is on the top of my priority list then why am i spending more time on my cell phone each day than i am with him and so i'm not telling everyone to get rid of their social media or to chuck their phones but simply to say What do I need to lower on my priority list Mm -hmm. to increase Jesus in my life?
1: Yeah, this isn't an anti-technology talk because as Cassie is doing a social media fast, I'm not doing a social media fast. It's not this you have to do either or, or you have to do this in order to make more time. It's for us each to actually take a look at the things we're giving our time to and take stock of that and determine if it's um, important to us. Another reason that keeps us from praying is that we are easily distracted. If we're all honest, we've had that moment where we set aside 30 minutes to pray, and instead we spend 29 minutes trying to remember the name of our third grade elementary <laughs> teacher. We ha- we're just distracted people. Um, we'll sit down for 30 minutes, and 29 of those minutes will be spent trying to figure out how uh, What is going on with the rest of our day? But being distracted isn't necessarily a major problem. It doesn't mean we're terrible people. Being distracted just simply means that we are human. Let me assure you that the problem isn't that you get distracted. Getting distracted doesn't make you a bad Christian. It just makes you human. Getting distracted isn't a problem. Staying distracted is. Every time we get distracted we have this beautiful opportunity to return to God. So if we get distracted 100 times in 30 minutes, that is 100 opportunities to come back to God. It's like the prodigal son coming back to the father. It's again, not a, it's not um, that you're a terrible Christian, it's that you get the opportunity to come back to God. So distraction isn't the problem, but giving up on prayer is. Also another thing, let's just normalize boredom. Let's recognize that we are overstimulated. We are people that every moment feel the need to be engaged with something. And oftentimes prayer feels like this empty space because we are so used to something happening around us and something being in our hands. Let's just normalize boredom. Let's normalize the fact that we are addicted to hurry and engagement. And if we can just say it is okay For me to spend a few minutes unengaged, then I think prayer will become a lot easier for us to engage with. Another distraction or another reason we don't pray is we feel inadequate. We oftentimes give up on prayer because we feel like we are bad because we're not the person spending two hours a day showering in the gold dust from heaven. Mm -hmm. Or you'll hear other people pray in eloquent King James English. And you're just not that familiar with the Shakespearean language. You're not too familiar with the thou, thy, though, thus. And you feel inadequate. But let's just kind of dissipate those worries by saying two things. First, that prayer is not the space for heroic efforts. There are saints who had heroic spiritual lives. But if we're honest, we are not them. This is not to say, don't try. This is to say that you don't need to commit to four hours on a Thursday if you can't spend five hours praying or five minutes praying today.
0: Five hours that's a lot.
1: Yeah, five hours is a lot. Don't commit to four hours if you struggle with five minutes. Um, Every saint that we look to, that we would describe their life as being heroic prayers, um, started with five minutes. Long before they got to four. So for us to build heroic spiritual lives, we start small and aim long term uh, to get to, you know, greater time spent in the presence of the Lord. And then the other thing I want to mention is that education isn't necessary. Um, that education is never a barrier to God. The ancient Jewish leaders were shocked that God would speak through the uneducated and unlearned fishermen. Uh, C.S. Lewis reminds us that there is not an education needed to follow Christ because following Christ is an education. He is known as a rabbi for a reason. He is a teacher. He longs for us to sit at his feet and learn his rhythms, and learn his way. So committing to prayer and spiritual formation will bring you up to speed on the four-syllable words that Cassie sprinkles into conversation. (laughs) Learning to pray is a theological, biblical education in and of itself. You don't have to come to prayer you know, with the vocabulary memorized, that prayer really becomes this space of learning to internalize the teachings of Christianity and the teachings of Christ. The final reason that could be given as to why we don't pray is simply that we've been disappointed. Many of us carry the memories of praying for a healing, a job, a family member, and nothing happening. Some of the most manipulative forms of spiritual abuse come from the phrase, just pray more, believe harder, or have more faith. Here's the reality. Even as your pastor, I don't understand all the inner workings of prayer. I don't understand why God does things that I don't ask for and doesn't do the things that I do ask for. Prayer is a mystery. It is this grand mystery that I don't know that on this side of eternity I will ever understand. But what I do know is that our God promises to be with us through it all. He may not do the things that we tell him to do, but he he is annoyingly present through it all. Over the last couple of weeks, at the very beginning of the year, Cassie and I have just felt disappointed And, um, you know, 2022 didn't start out the way we anticipated at all. We, We got COVID and there was a snow day and there were all these things that the new year didn't come with the ideas we had for it. And even though, you know, our prayers seemingly went unanswered in that regard, we know that God was present with us through it all. We know that he was present with us in the disappointment. He's present with us in the false starts. He's present with us in those moments. God never promises to be our genie in the bottle, but he promises to be God with us.
0: You know, no true change happens outside of a community right? Orange Theory, uh, the gym club, they get this idea. Uh, It's this idea that you can only really lose weight when you have community and accountability surrounding you. And so similarly, we can become people of prayer in 2022, but only if we do so in community. And we can do this, we can cultivate this type of prayer life uh, in both our public and our private spheres. And so first, I want to just talk about a little bit about that public sphere, what it looks like, uh, to practice a life of prayer publicly. You know, I think the temptation with a sermon like this is for you to go home with some sort of sense of guilt or a laundry list of things to do. I know that's how I would respond. And I do just want to take a moment to acknowledge that if you attend church on a Sunday, or if you attend a microchurch throughout the week, you are already becoming a person of prayer at some level. We practice prayer publicly as a church community through our Sunday liturgy and our prayer time, right? The prayers that we pray, the call to worship, the psalm that we read, the scriptures that we read, the generosity prayer, uh, the prayer of our confessions, our communion, our practice of communion, and our prayer time at the end where we pray for needs, right? We practice prayer by simply engaging on a Sunday, We also practice prayer through our microchurches. We engage in much of the same liturgy and set of prayers that we do on a Sunday within our microchurch setting. We spend time praying with one another and then praying for one another and the needs are presented within our microchurches. And then this year, in addition to these public expressions of prayer, we're going to be offering opportunities for you to engage in some prayer nights. For us to say, what would it look like as a church to intentionally continue to engage in prayer and become people centered around prayer? And then we have to look at how prayer is expressed through our life privately. I think another temptation with a sermon like this is for you to go home and to try to go from zero minutes of prayer a day to 60 minutes of prayer a day. You know, many of the times New Year resolutions in our life fail because we make unattainable goals. And in the same way, going from zero to 60 minutes becomes some sort of an unattainable goal. So if you've never prayed consistently before, I would challenge you to start with even just one minute a day. 60 seconds. Once you get good at 60 seconds, try five minutes and so on and so forth. I don't know if you have tried sitting quietly for one whole minute before, but it can be really, really challenging. I downloaded a daily prayer app on my phone a couple years ago uh, to just kind of help me pray throughout my day. And one of the prayers that you pray in the afternoon, because you do one in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening, one of the prayers in the afternoon, it usually has you pause and pray for 120 seconds. So that's two minutes, right? And so I remember the one of the first times I downloaded Zap, I'm doing these afternoon prayers and I go to pray for 120 seconds and I'm like basking in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's so good. We've taken this I've taken this amazing break out of my day. The Lord's speaking to me all of these things and I I think I finished, and I open my eyes, and I think, oh, man, I'm sure that that's been like five minutes of prayer, and I look at my phone, and like 45 seconds has passed, (laughs) and it's just this understanding and this idea that for many of us, you know, we don't sit quietly, let alone sit and not do something at all throughout our days or in our life, and so part of this is simply cultivating an ability to sit, to sit still, and to do nothing but to communicate with our Heavenly Father. And so I would start, I would challenge you to start with that attainable goal, even if it's just 60 seconds a day.
1: Yeah, I think two other things I would add to this is, first, create a prayer rhythm that works within your schedule. If you've got a commute to work, Work on processing your day with God If you, as you're commuting home. Work on just unpacking the emotions, the stresses, the things that you've got going on. If you've got little ones and you stay at home, use a nap time, use a natural break in order to really just begin processing those things with God. It doesn't work to say, I'm going to create these giant gaps in my schedule. If your schedule doesn't have giant gaps, you'll inevitably give up on something if it becomes... Unnatural. Really work on identifying spaces within your current rhythms and within your current schedule to create that. Secondly, um, use a daily prayer app or even our micro church liturgy to guide your prayer time. Um, I, I jokingly say that, like, my emotion, I don't have a whole lot of emotions going on underneath the surface. Like, I will, you know, begin a spontaneous prayer time. And within like three minutes, I've prayed through all the things I'm thinking about, all the things that I'm, I've thought about. And, you know, I'll find myself asking, oh, okay, like what now? And so about, you know, three, four years ago, I discovered kind of the beauty of praying Prayers that were written for me and prepared for me ahead of time. And I use those as a way of almost warming up my heart and engaging my mind to prepare for a more spontaneous prayer time. Um, our micro church liturgy is based on a similar kind of space. So you could reuse that micro church liturgy, switch out the psalms, switch out the scripture, and you could pray through that as a way of building and working your way towards your prayer time with God. And so we want to encourage you, just figure out what works for you. We'll spend a lot of time um, unpacking prayer throughout this year. We'll come up with some resources, some tools for you to use. But as we kind of wrap up our time together, we want to wrap it up by simply holding space for those who are experiencing disappointment, particularly disappointment in prayer. Um, since March, 2020, there's not a one of us that are where we thought we would be. And 2022 hasn't really brought the newness that a new year is supposed to. I think I mentioned this for Cassie and I, 2022 has been three weeks of unmet expectations, isolation, and disappointment. In that disappointment, it is a challenge to pray. In moments of crushing loss, how do we find the courage to say, but God, you are good? In moments of crippling isolation, how can we experience the nearness of God? In moments where getting out of bed is a feat of strength, how do we find the ability to pray? And the thing I keep coming back to is that our God never promised to be a genie, but he promised to be with us, with a relentless love, we learn to pray even through disappointment by remembering who we are praying to. In the midst of our disappointment, we learn to pray again by remembering the character and the nature of our God. This reminds me of a story. Eugene Peterson was a prolific author, pastor, and theologian that I have the utmost respect for. He um, has written dozens and dozens of work. He translated the entire Bible into what we call the message paraphrase, um, in which he tried to bring um, the Hebrew and Greek, and he tried to bring it into a language that most people in our moment wouldn't understand. And Eugene passed away in 2018. And at Eugene's funeral, his son shared that every single night, his father would quietly creep into his room and, and pray this over his son. God loves you. He is on your side. He is coming after you. He is relentless. God loves you. He is on your side. He's coming after you. He is relentless. We learn to pray even through the disappointment by remembering who we are praying to, that he is the God who loves us, that he is on our side, that he is coming after us, and that he is relentless.
0: Site at midtownkc.church